and shoes. What's the matter, Morty? Great gowns, beautiful gowns. Fashion has changed. Hi, my name is Chelsea Fairless. And I'm Lauren Garoni, and welcome to a new episode of Every Outfit. I'm glad to see that you're living and breathing today. I don't answer one text message for an hour, and suddenly I'm dead. Well, I was like, she's dead or she's really depressed or something because it's like I texted her at, at eight and then she hasn't responded by 10. I was like, is she still asleep? Why would she still be asleep? Like, what's going on? It's like a weight's been lifted seeing you sitting here right now. That actually makes me feel really good that you went through this because I go through these anxious thought processes, too, of like, why, why haven't they texted? I mean, not with you because you just won't respond to text messages for six hours sometimes. Oh, come on. That's not true. Is it? Sometimes. Okay, if it's like a random Daily Mail article and I miss it because I'm like out or something, then that's one thing. But like a text about something important, like especially if you're asking me a question, like, you know, I'll respond to. Like, have you seen this Daily Mail article? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's only, my phone can only handle like so many Daily Mail articles a day. Although I do appreciate that you send them to me because it's like a curation of the Daily Mail. So then I don't have to go through it myself because I've already gotten like the top 10 articles of the day. But then your <laughs> your wife made a point because sometimes like I try not to be a multiple texter. I try to get it all in one message. But sometimes it's like, oh, did you see this? Oh, we need to talk about this. Oh, we need to talk about this. And your wife was like, oh, yeah, she only reads the like last message when you send six. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. If there's like three Daily Mail articles above the last Daily Mail article, that I'm not likely to think like, oh, there was more to this, you know? But I guess I got to scroll up. Anyway, guys, we're back. We're talking about what's gone on this past week. Shall we get into it? The past two weeks, kind of, because we did a Sex in the City episode last week. Speaking of Sex in the City, it's filming. I know. Sarah Jessica Parker posted the pilot script or the first episode script. Did you clock what it's called? No. What is it called? Hello, it's me. <laughs> Actually, there's no comma, so it's just hello, it's me. Hmm. Right? Shouldn't it be hello, comma, it's me? I'm sad that it isn't like one of those ridiculous Sex in the City titles like A Woman's Right to Shoes or something. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah. What if it was, hello, comma, it's me, question mark? (laughs) I'm going to do so much with these three words depending on punctuation. Um, And yeah, I'm intrigued that it was written by Michael Patrick King. Oh, yeah, baby. I mean, he had to have the first app. That was kind of a given. In other and just like that news, Sarah Ramirez is consciously uncoupling from their husband of many years. Their partner. Their partner. They posted a photo of a, of a flower and spoke of their partner as if they had passed. <laughs> and then confusing. provided a very long list of like mostly trans nonprofit organizations. So I guess donate in memory of... <laughs> Their marriage? marriage? That's not a bad idea. You know, people have honeymoon funds, have a divorce fund, and just use it to buy alcohol for yourself. <laughs> or support trans organizations. <laughs> yeah, one or the other. All right, shall we get into it? Sure. Last week, Chelsea and I broke our post-pandemic theater fast by seeing the cinematic experience of 2021. I'm not talking about Fast and Furious 9, <laughs> but the thrilling stripper saga Zola. Chelsea, what did you think? I loved it. I mean, it was funnier than I expected, but it was also darker than I expected because I did not read the viral Twitter thread 
before watching this. Like when I heard that they were optioning the thread into a film, I was like, I'm going to just wait. Yeah, for those who don't know, Zola is based on Asia Zola King's viral tweets from 2015 about a hoe trip gone wrong. <laughs> the film is directed by Janixa Bravo, who adapted the film with uh, playwright Jeremy O'Harris. And I think they, they nailed it. They did a great job. I mean, the script was really funny. The performances from the two leads were incredible. I have such a newfound respect for both of them, honestly. Taylor Page, who plays Zola, who I think is a comedic revelation in the film, and then Riley Keough, who plays Stephanie, the most yeah. demonic white girl in existence. But her terribleness was often played for comedy, and I feel like those were some of the funniest moments of the film, because she is just a completely ridiculous person. Yeah, Riley Keough has, has gone to the top of my nepotism favorite actresses. Yeah. No, she was major. And so was I loved the guy that played her dumbass boyfriend. Nicholas Braun, who would play, if you've seen Secession, Cousin Greg. Yeah. That's who he's known for. He was really fucking funny. Also, it looked beautiful. Like, I liked the look of it from the title cards to the, like, all the shitty sort of 80s style interiors in it to like the some of the fantasy sequences yeah how they chose to pad out essentially 148 tweets i think were that's how many tweets there were into an hour and a half film was masterful like i think this is going to become the example that people are going to use how social media is represented in movies yeah i feel like that was one of the strongest things about it was that this movie is so much about social media, texting, phones, whatever, but you never actually see the texts. I never want to see text messages on screens ever again. We don't need it. It's true. Like, I feel like House of Cards figured it out. I feel like they were the first to, like, make it look not terrible. Although Zola has proved that you don't even need to show it. We're so, like, subconsciously conditioned to understand what all of these, like, noises that our phones make. Like, we don't need to actually see it. Yeah, you're right. It's not about text on screen. I think the film is brilliantly directed. I think Janixa is a genius. I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, in watching a film where she talks about the references for her first film, Lemon, she gets into how much she loves Robert Altman and John Cassavetes, which I think knowing that, basically Zola's style is if you physicalized social media and, and made it a Cassavetes film, that's kind of what Zola is. Yeah. Yeah, it looked fabulous. The costumes were fabulous, too. For sure. And I'm much happier that it's in her hands and not James Franco's hands, who was originally supposed to direct this movie. I had no idea that that was the case. He was going to direct the film based on a script by two white dudes, which Taylor, Love that. <laughs> Taylor Page, who, again, plays Zola, actually read that first script. And she called her agent and was like, no, this is sexist and racist, and I don't want to do this. According to her, it didn't center around the original Zola story. So I can only imagine that it was through the eyes of the cuckolded boyfriend. Oh, God. But yeah, in 2018, Franco had to step away from the film due to some Me Tooing. So that allowed this brilliant... That have now been settled? What happened with that? Uh, there was like uh, actors that were in his troupe that I think he settled with. I don't know. I can't keep track. Yeah. We really do need some infographic about this. Yeah. <laughs> about everything that's happened between 2017 and 2020. Totally. But yeah, go see Zola. I mean, one jarring thing for me, though, about seeing Zola was having to watch trailers for movies I don't care about again, which I got so used to not 
doing. Because you were at home for the past year just clicking on YouTube and being like, oh, this is a movie I want to see. Yeah, if I if it's a movie I want to see, it's like I see the trailer and oh, no, no, they didn't. I click on it and like, that's it. Did you get the trailer that's basically Nicolas Cage with his missing pig? Yes. His truffle sniffing pig. Okay, I'm ready for that shit. Did everyone in the theater scream when he was like, I'm looking for a truffle pig or something? Yes. Like- Everyone was like, whoever edited that trailer really did something, honestly. For those who don't know what we're talking about, it's basically John Wick, but Nicholas, like, instead of John Wick going after people because they killed his dog, which is the plot of the first John Wick, I'm explaining this to you, Chelsea, because I know you've not seen this film. Definitely didn't see that. It's basically John Wick, but Nicholas Cage is hunting for a truffle pig. (laughs) So it's kind of like The Revenant. (laughs) Yes, it's like The Revenant. But with truffle pigs. It's like he's living in the wilderness with his truffle pig and it's taken. And so he's like some world-renowned chef that became a recluse. I don't know what this is, but I'm in. Yeah, I mean, they really, yeah, they sold that shit to me. So anyway, go see Zola so you can see this pig trailer or just look at <laughs> Moving on. So I finally finished Hacks and I'm very excited to talk about this with you because I was a bit of a late adopter, I guess. I know. I watched this as it was coming out with my mom, of all of all things. Like, I watched the first episode or the first two episodes with my mother. She became a hacks addict. She was like, Can we, are there new episodes? Can we watch the new episodes? <laughs> so for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a new HBO Max show where Gene Smart plays Deborah Vance, a Joan Rivers-esque comedian with a long-running Vegas residency. The show is on the verge of going under, so she hires a sassy young writer to help her punch up the material and hijinks ensue. Yes, they're basically both tricked by their manager, played by Paul W. Downs, to take each other. I mean, I love him on this show. I loved him on Broad City, too. Yeah, so the show is created by Lucia Nilo, Paul W. Downs, who were part of the creative team behind Broad City, and then Jen Statsky, who wrote on Broad City and also The Good Place. So it's kind of a murderer's row of every show you've enjoyed for the past seven years. I mean, I'm obsessed with Deborah. Like, she's a diva, but she's not really, like, a sadist, if you know what I mean. Like, Except when it comes to her sister, who stole her husband. Well, I mean, but fair enough, right? Like, you can't even, like, be mad at her for that. I mean, I mostly just, like, love the sequin pantsuits. And, yeah, I mean, sure, she does have those sort of, like, diva outbursts. Like, I love that scene where she reads something on her iPad that displeases her. Then she throws it into the pool and without skipping a beat, like, screams at her assistant to go and buy her another iPad. Yes, yeah, and I love when she loses her mind because she lives in Vegas and has the most watered lawns you've ever seen. You would think she was, I don't know, living in the Pacific Northwest or something, and so she has a fight with the water meter guy. Yeah, I love that rivalry throughout the show. My favorite character, I think, is Deborah's like run of house, the guy that runs her business, Marcus. Mm-hmm. And then I love his love story with Wilson, the water meter guy. <laughs> like, I need more of their love story. No, I love it, too. I love it, too. It's so funny because it's kind of set up like a Devil Wears Prada type show with Deborah being the Meryl Streep and Ava, who the writer character, being um, Anne Hathaway. But it's like kind of the reverse, actually, because Ava's like always torturing Deborah 
always betraying her, always like yelling at her and telling her that she's a piece of shit. Literally in every single episode is like her either doing something fucked up or trying to backtrack from something fucked up that she did so Deborah doesn't find out. I really enjoy the show, but I think we can discuss the loser millennial trope. She's not even a millennial though. Remember that scene where she's like, actually, I'm not a millennial. I'm Gen Z. It's like, Bitch, you're 35. What do you mean? No, she's supposed to be 25 in the show. Okay, but like, Lauren, (laughs) that's not what 25-year-olds look like. (laughs) I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying like, it is a millennial character that is supposed to be Gen Z, which I just, I would have never known until it was said. Until she shouted that in a piece of exposition. Well, the only Gen Z thing that she really did was like, yell at Deborah and her other like over 50 comedy friends for not holding like a sexist predatory comedy club boss accountable for his sexual harassment and you know obviously like having no respect for the time or context in which they had to forge careers which is very Gen Z but like what I loved about the show is everyone has a tormentor, right? Like Ava's tormentor, in a way, is her manager. But then you find out his tormentor is his assistant. Right. <laughs> played by Megan Statler. <laughs> I love just, that. Yeah, who's brilliant. Yeah. Who's the worst assistant in the world and yet <laughs> has to be there because she's the uh, head of the management company's daughter. <laughs> I also really loved that episode where... Ava meets that guy at the casino and they have like the sort of whirlwind romance that we often see portrayed in um, films and yeah, yeah television shows and the sort of experiences we want to happen to us. But then it takes a turn that I did not see coming. Or did you see it coming? I knew something was going to happen. But that... Yeah, I guess we won't spoil it for those who no, haven't seen it. But anyway, cannot wait for Hacks 2. If Jean fucking Smart does not win the Best Comedic Actress Emmy this year... She will. I will riot. She will. HBO Max is producing good stuff. I know, they are. Everything I watch is on HBO Max. And they're not even paying us. We just <laughs> genuinely feel that way. Well, also, HBO Max is kind of like, sure, we'll try this. And then they do it. It's like, sure, we'll have a floral design competition. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll watch that. Sure, we'll have a shout four- out to Full Bloom. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a four part documentary about Heaven's Gate cult. We know you're, there's some weirdos out there that are into this. I'm like, I am, yes. Yeah, bless them. So, Chelsea, are you okay? What is this in reference to? You know what it's in reference to. (sighs) The answer is no. So last week, Meghan McCain announced that she will be leaving The View after four seasons. Wait, she's only been there four years? I know. It feels like 84 years. It, It does. It does. She stated that her decision was motivated by a desire to stay in Washington, D.C., where she's been living during the pandemic, where she recently gave birth to her daughter, Liberty Bell. Uh, You didn't know that that was her daughter's name. However, there have also been several reports of tension on the set of other cast members not wanting to work with her, specifically Whoopi Goldberg, who has had several fights with her on air in recent months. I'm really devastated by this news. Wait, I thought Megan's biggest foe was Joy. It is, but like, at least Joy and her can fight in a way that's like normal, whereas her and Whoopi just like yell at each other you know what i mean like right joy and megan have like ideological differences whereas megan and whoopi are just like fucking hate each other 
Yeah, it sucks. I mean, I watch The View every day. I love Megan, which only surprises people who don't watch The View. Because if you watch the show regularly, you come to understand how vital she is to the dynamic. And even though I don't always agree with her, especially when it comes to things like gun control and abortion rights, you know, I still love her. And I still agree with her more than I disagree with her. There's no bullshit with Megan. You know, you have to respect that. When she starts her millennial conservative Substack and Patreon, <laughs> you, can, you can support her. I feel like a lot of people have lazy takes on Megan because A, they can't get past the fact that she's benefited from nepotism, even though she is reasonably intelligent and reasonably good at being on television. They just watch clips on Twitter without context. But if you actually watch The View, you would know that like Whoopi and Joy have really problematic takes too. Because the thing about The View is that like everyone is a centrist within their respective parties. Right. So it's like... I think that they need to bring in like someone that's like Trumpy and then someone that's like a super Gen Z like social justice warrior and then like Whoopi and Joy will like be wishing that Megan was still there. How many times do you think in a production meeting Tommy Lauren has been brought up? Oh God, I hope not. There's been many conservatives on The View and I don't want another Elizabeth Hasselbeck or another Abby Huntsman. I would prefer another Megan McCain or another Nicole Wallace or like something in that vein. Although if the point of the show is to represent like the viewpoints of women in, in America, it doesn't really do that because again, most of their viewpoints are the same. Like they actually do agree on most things, I find. I think they just have like personality differences. Except for the fact that they did not agree about this Jill Biden Vogue cover. Oh, yeah. And I think Megan had a terrible take. Well, what did she say? Because I just heard the part where she was dragging Anna Wintour. That was the whole thing. So everyone was giving kind of complimentary, like, she's great, Dr. Jill, woohoo. And <laughs> Megan gave the take that that, like, edgelord person that you go to school with who like doesn't actually have a take and just goes and makes a, a whole different point which was I've been done with Vogue ever since they put a very racist cover with LeBron James and Giselle on the cover where he was meant to look like an ape holding a woman which was like whoa okay well that is a fact like no, that fully it, happened because it's a it's a fairly boring cover with not much to say about it other than like it's nice it's boring it's usually what the first lady cover of Vogue is she was like let me bring up this fact which is true but yeah okay again it's like Megan is the SJW of the view quite often it's just you don't right it's a real mixed bag of hot takes from this woman well and then she invoked Andre Leon Talley's which she's like my feelings about Vogue have been further justified because of what Andre Leon Talley wrote in his book and then Andre Leon Talley is like Anna Wintour isn't racist well he basically was like <laughs> Megan Please get my name out of your fucking mouth. Yeah. What he said was, I've said this before. There's not a racist bone in her body. Anna comes from a European culture, perhaps a colonial class culture coming from England. This may influence her. But in the end, she is an extraordinary editor, which basically it seems to me it's like, no, no, no. I can talk shit about her. You can't talk about me talking about shit. Well, it's also her. weird that Megan invoked Andre Leontali because like Andre Leontali and like Whoopi are good friends. So that's just like weird given Megan and Whoopi's 
rivalry. She doesn't know anything about Whoopi's life. She doesn't know. I bet she doesn't know Whoopi, Whoopi is an EGOT. She knows Whoopi has an EGOT. See, this is the Megan slander that I cannot stand for. <laughs> Again, right. just like we need someone Gen Z that can just like scream at Joy and Whoopi for all of the stuff that they say. Oh, so Demi Lovato. Yeah. Or Jamila Jamil would be great. Ooh. Because then they'd be like, oh, fuck, shit. I thought I wanted this, but I did not want this. Anyway, so bye, Megan. But she has a couple more months, right? No, just the end of this month. This is her last month. Maybe you want to do a eulogy on the show at the end of July for Megan's <laughs> reign at The View. Uh, I'm definitely going to miss those hairstyles. Yeah. You lived, you hairstyled, you girl bossed. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look... This is built into the view. There's been so many different incarnations of the cast. Again, it's it's always been a very toxic work environment there. So no matter who leaves and who comes in, it's always going to be chaos, no matter what. Also, for anyone that's interested in the view, there is a really amazing book called Ladies Who Punch that came out a couple of years ago that's kind of like the definitive history of the show. <laughs> Not to bum everyone out, but we'd be remiss if we did not update you on Britney Spears. On Saturday, the millennial Woodward and Bernstein, Ronan Farrow, and Gia Tolentino released a damning investigative piece in The New Yorker, which gave credence to a lot of the free... Britney movement's allegations that they made, including uh, Jamie Spears' abusive dynamic with Britney and the tight control over Britney's social media. The article also alleges that Spears called 911 at a certain point to report herself as a victim of conservatorship abuse. I'll just run down a couple of, of points. We don't need to get into it. But her inner circle have denied these allegations. However, her longtime manager, Larry Rudolph, did step down, as well as her court-appointed lawyer since 2008, Samuel Ingham, has asked to be taken off of the case. So can we, like, crowdfund, like, better legal representation for her or something? It's not that. It's Jamie Montgomery, who is the co-conservator with Jamie Spears, has, as of this morning, said, yes, I stand for Britney getting her own legal counsel, and now it stands to Jamie Spears. So that should be interesting. But I feel like we could cyber bully him enough to be like, fine. On July 4th, while performing in Vegas, Miley Cyrus changed the lyrics of Party in the USA to the taxi man turned on the radio. He turned to me and said, free Britney, free Britney. That's cool. <laughs> on Wednesday, Britney's mother, Lynn, filed a petition that also would ask for Britney to hire her own legal counsel. She cited that Britney is in a different capacity than in 2008 when the conservatorship began. Yeah, like now she's even more fucked up. I mean, there's nothing more to say. Like, Britney should get her own legal counsel. I feel like it would be very difficult from everything that I've read and also her own personality that the financial conservatorship would be fully lifted. But I think a lot of leeway can be made in that. Right. Or at the very least, just get a competent business manager so that she doesn't spend all her money on Bath and Body Works lotions, as you said <laughs> when we talked about it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> It's crazy to see actual movement on this. Yeah, thank God. But it's sad that it took like that audio having to be released, you know. Right, for everyone to understand. And it's crazy how airtight the conservatorship system is. Like once you're in it, you're kind of fucked. And that even a pop star with this level of fame and resources is still having such a difficult time extricating herself from it is 
crazy. I mean, in the olden times, well, we would have cited women as witches, but I feel like in the 40s and 50s, <laughs> like you would have lobotomized a woman to shut her up. And now we just sort of put them in financial shackles. Yeah. In the legal process. Sorry, I just had a picture of like Britney in a Salem witch trial situation. <laughs> oh, poor girl. She just um, shouts work, bitch. She just starts singing Lucky as she's being burned at the stake. Um, <laughs> it's so dark. Sorry, Brit. Um, and sorry, guys. Sorry, everyone. Another really depressing pop star news. I, yeah. Okay. I, uh, shall we have a moment of silence? It's just like, Chell, have you ever had an ex that you are always holding out hope for? No. Okay. Well, I'll speak for myself and probably our <laughs> listeners, right? You check their social every once in a while and you think maybe, you know, the timing will be right and we'll find our way back to each other. And then one day you see they got married to some basic bitch and you realize, oh, I never knew them to begin with. And this is how I feel about Gwen Stefani marrying Blake Shelton. Like, she's not coming back to us, Chelsea, okay? It's just, it's nude lips and cowboy boots for life. I know, I know. But you know what? She did wear a red lip at her wedding, which did signal to me that the old Gwen is still in there somewhere, although she did choose to wear a Vera Wang gown and, like, ankle boots, which is a real choice. I'm apoplectic. That she went from that custom John Galliano pink ombre dress. I know. To some weird Vera Wang, like, mullet. Kleinfeld's, like, Kleinfeld's bridal vibe. Well, it's also like a mullet tool dress, right? It's like business in the front because it's short, and then it's a party in the back because it's long. Wait, was it short in the front? That's what I thought the actual... First of all, her reception dress... I thought it was just, like, the most, like, traditional, like wedding dress you could buy i don't from what i saw that's what i thought in the articles i read but also her reception dress is so similar to her actual wedding dress who's to say oh i didn't even realize she had a reception dress okay i i need to like go back through these photos clearly don't don't bother yeah i mean that galliano dress was it was so perfect and it was so anti-establishment at the time but so classical and traditional in a sense as well yeah like now you wouldn't think twice if you saw someone wearing a dress that was pink or something with like a deconstructed corset or something but because now everyone's like getting married in like jumpsuits and shit in 2002 in 2002 it was a different world Obviously, what we're referring to is Gwen Stefani was married for many years to Gavin Rossdale, who she divorced in 2016, and earlier this year had that marriage annulled by the Vatican. It was annulled by a Vatican tribunal five years after her actual divorce so that her marriage to Blake Shelton could be recognized by the Catholic Church. That's so fucked. Like, for what? As a fellow Catholic-raised Italian, I like the pomp and circumstance, but, like, really, you need the Catholic Church to recognize your marriage to Blake Shelton? I know. Who, did you hear that he actually built the wedding chapel on his ranch that they got married in, like, for the occasion? Which reminds me of... uh, Very Aiden Shaw. Very Aiden Shaw, but also Russell Crowe did that when he got married to his first wife, whose name is... Oh my God, Danielle Spencer. Why do I know that? Why do I know that? <laughs> anyway, I feel like that's a cursed thing. I feel like people who build chapels to get married in on their own property, those marriages don't last. I have no scientific facts to back that up other than Russell Crowe also got divorced. <laughs> but look, I want Gwen to be happy. Obviously, I've always been a fan. But 
I don't know. This just doesn't feel right. It feels like she's that girl that just like turns into her boyfriend or whatever. But also, I mean, she was raised in Orange County. Maybe it just finally got her. Anyway, congrats, Blake and Gwen. We wish you the best. Is she Gwen Shelton? Oh, God. Ugh, if we sound deflated, it's because we are. This is upsetting. Anyway, should we talk about fashion? Sure. So the big fashion story this week is the first Balenciaga Couture show, which was supposed to happen last year, but it was postponed due to the pandemic. What were your thoughts? I thought it was oddly earnest, given the designer who was designing it. For someone that's put DHL and Ikea and Crocs on the runway, I was happily surprised at how much it referenced actual Balenciaga couture pieces. Cristobal Balenciaga couture pieces. Uh, yes, that's who I'm referring to. Yeah, I, w- I mean, I think it, it felt familiar and new because on one hand, you did have all the Demna things like the hoodies and the oversized suits and the very strange looking models. But yeah, this time we got more evening wear. I mean, because usually I think Demna's thing is he'll take like a Cristobal silhouette and then he'll turn it into a parka or something. Right. But this time it's like he took a crystal ball gown and like made it into a gown. Although to be fair, there were many gowns that looked like parkas in this particular collection. Which speaks to Cristobal's original designs, which had a lot of voluminous pieces like cape coats. But he did update some stuff. Like I'm thinking about the black dress with the evening shawl, but the evening shawl was made out of like puffer coat material. Yeah. Because he can't help himself. And that's kind of what it's about right now. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's really hard to make a gown look cool. Yeah, I mean, Tatiana and I talk about this all the time because gowns are inherently not modern. Like, it's not cool to wear a ball gown and look like you walked out of a Cecil Beaton photo. Now the 1% wants to look like Balenciaga models. You know, although obviously only 1% of the 1% could afford this collection, which if it's consistent with modern couture pricing would run between five and six figures per item. That's an expensive Canadian tuxedo, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I really would love to see like, because there were a lot of denim pieces and I'm like, what was the process? Right. Because the idea of couture is everything is hand stitched. So, Well, I mean, I'm sure it was, but I'm sure they're just applying couture techniques to hoodies and stuff like that, which is like, why not? Again, it's like how many places are there that you can wear a fucking ball gown these days? That's very true. I did have some issues with the show itself, however. Did you watch the video? I did because you you asked me to. So I know what you're going to talk about, I think. Okay, well, it was just like it gave me anxiety because they did a fashion show trope that I hate, which is not having music so that like all of the focus is on the clothes or whatever. I feel like this is usually something that a Japanese designer, a Belgian designer does. Like I, there was a comb show like not super long ago that had no music, but I just find it to be awkward. And on top of that, the, the show was presented in a recreation of Cristobal Balenciaga's Couture Salon, which was fabulous, but the salon was carpeted and a lot of the models were wearing heels that so they could barely walk in, especially because a lot of these people aren't what we would call professional models. And a lot of the pants were deliberately like very, very long. So it was kind of like silent. And then you're just kind of watching these people like 
praying that they don't fall down and embarrass themselves. It's stressful. I couldn't tell if the absence of music was forcing the audience to listen to the fabric move or because Demna and his style is so has such a detached irony that it was a nod to those. Have you ever seen those musicless music videos on YouTube? Yes, that's what that's what Tat said. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Mick Jagger, David Bowie dancing in the streets where it's just them but like <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. Yeah. No, totally. How many people do you think want the the shopping bags that say Balenciaga Couture? I mean, on it? everyone. Do you want to talk about how Kanye was at the show? Oh yeah, Kanye was at the show. You maybe wouldn't know from first glance because he was wearing some sort of. It wasn't a mask. It wasn't a hood. It was like a piece of fabric with some sort of digi printed something on it. Like was it a skull or like an animal face or something? I couldn't be bothered to really figure it out. What is that like when he goes to security? Do they make him <laughs> show his face? Do they just trust it? What? Well, it was also interesting to see just from the video, like who was and wasn't wearing masks. Because Kanye's like wearing his full face thing. Then it's like Anna Wintour's wearing a mask. And Hamish Bowles is wearing a mask. But Olivier Zom and Bella Hadid aren't wearing masks, which is fairly predictable, of course. But it was just interesting to see which editors were masked and which ones were not. It's just where we are as a culture, man. Yeah. I saw a couple people note that the puffer jacket that Kanye or the puffer coat that Kanye was wearing is possibly a unreleased, well, soon to be released Easy Gap. Oh, piece. well, it is because it's the exact same jacket the as blue the blue one. one. Yeah. So it's like, I like how he's like, I'm going to be incognito, but it's like, I'm going to be the most Kanye Kanye could ever Kanye. Yeah. Know? So I think in other couture news i think the other noteworthy show of the week was the Elias show they have a new creative director Peter Mueller, who started as an intern at Raph Simmons, and then he became Raph's right-hand guy. Yeah, he's been working with Raph through, like, Jill Sander to Dior to Calvin Klein. Right, and I was reading an article about this show because when Raph left Calvin Klein about in 2016, basically Peter Mueller was like, it broke me. Like, I didn't know if I wanted to do fashion anymore. And he's like... I, I think Calvin Klein broke a lot of people in that <laughs> but, era. But he basically... <laughs> was like I could not look at athleisure anymore is basically his point he's like I didn't want to design a sneaker I don't well I, I understand like if you're not the kind of designer that wants to make streetwear and sneakers I imagine this would be a really difficult time to be a fashion designer so landing on Aliyah was sort of perfect yeah. Aliyah who passed away in 2017 this is sort of the first quote-unquote new collection previously they've been kind of using in-house team yeah archival designs that sort of thing yeah, I mean, if you like Azadine, Aliyah, you're going to like this show because it is very true to his aesthetic. It touches upon literally all of his signature pieces, you know, from the corset belts to the hoods to the bodycon dresses to the those white cotton poplin separates that he always does, all of it. And yeah, it was, it was literal, but it was very, very well executed. I'm excited to see people actually wear this stuff. Like, you know, a, a Bella Hadid, a Dua Lipa is going to go crazy for this. Oh yeah, definitely that, that look that was the knit bodysuit with a knit swim cap and then like a crocodile trench coat to the ground is definitely going to be on Dua Lipa or something. Yeah, whether you like it or not, the Kardashians are also going to be all over this. Well, it works with their bodies, as we previously discussed. Totally. Yeah, they have to have that stretch. Yeah. I love the show. I didn't think it had the strongest end looks of all things. 
Well, you know what? I noticed that because the, the last look was like this sort of column gown that was like an Eve's Klein blue, which is incidentally also the color of the first look at Off-White. The first and last look. Yeah. I feel like I've been seeing this color a lot in shows for the past couple of years. And it's like, I get it, but who cares? And there were a couple of looks before the last look at the Elias show that were, I don't know, almost chainmail or like gunmetal sequin that felt very Vuitton. It felt very out of place. I liked, yeah, I really, I think it was a great show. It's nice to see some just like normal clothes that like people could wear. I mean, thin, tall people, but people. They exist. Yeah, exactly. They need to buy clothes. They can buy them from Alaya. It's like you have to respect any brand that's making clothes that are timeless too, especially if we're talking about, we want things to be more sustainable and blah, blah, blah. I don't know why I'm blah, blah, blah in that. I actually do think this is a really important issue, but I think there is something to be said for just investing in timeless pieces. And this is that. So yeah, that'd be a if bu- you're a rich thought. Yeah, that'd be a buy from us <laughs> if we could afford it. I mean, this is not my. I I I don't think I have the the Alaya physique, but I respect. I respect. I could do one of those big fluffy coats. You could do the cotton poplin dress. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. There's things for me in there. You want to talk about the other greatest hit show that happened this week? <laughs> the the Gautier Couture Show. Yeah. If you'll remember, the last Gautier Couture show was officially Gautier's last show. The person, Jean-Paul Gautier. Jean-Paul Gautier. There was like 200 looks. It was this huge spectacle. He was out. And of course, his ready-to-wear line folded years before that. So now they're bringing back Gautier. They're reinvigorating the brand by... I think it's kind of a good model, which is basically bringing in different guest designers every season to reinterpret the legacy of the house. And the first person they brought in was Sakai, or the designer behind Sakai. I forget what her name is. She's a protege of Rei Kawakubo. And she took the lead with this couture collection. I, Her and Jean-Paul Gaultier took about the end, but I wonder how much input he actually had on this, if any. I mean, obviously, like, every look was an interpretation of something he's already done. But right, the pinstripes, the corsets. I think the first section with the pinstripe stuff was, was the strongest. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this works for them. I think there were certainly some strong looks, but I would kind of be more interested to see them really get back into the ready-to-wear game because it's been really strange having those like vintage mesh Gautier pieces become so coveted by celebrities and by the youth and without... Gautier the brand really like being able to own that or capitalize on that like the amount of young designers I've seen that have basically reworked copied those like Vassarelli op art jumpsuits in the last few years is like crazy yet Gautier doesn't sell them again our our idea just just reprint stuff from your archive well, it seems like they're kind of moving in that direction also because I don't know if you saw Bella Hadid's can look 
Yes. Which was a which is was an interpretation mm. of something from the archive. Ninety one or ninety two look, I believe. It wasn't exactly the same. It was like they made a new dress for her, but it was inspired by that, apparently. Yeah. No one has new ideas anymore, so I think that this guest designer format makes sense because there's so many different looks and so many different things that you could different designers with drastically different aesthetics could sort of grab onto. Well, also just the way that the fashion industry is now, so many designers move houses so frequently at this point that it you might yeah, what as does well. it matter? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. Speaking of the OG, Mark Jacobs finally showed. Thank God he sat the last couple of seasons out. I was worried about the state of his mainline collection, but he's back. And the show was very, it was like 60s space age meets Kenny from South Park meets Rick Owens. Like, I wouldn't say that it was like copying Rick Owens, but it definitely like, there was a lot of those sort of puffer pieces. It's like, that's a Rick Owens vibe. That's a Rick Owens silhouette. I love the description of, yeah, everyone was wearing sort of bucket hats or ski hats and then a turtleneck or something that came up over their mouth. So it was very Kenny from South Park. Well, I think that... And that would be a reference for Marc Jacobs. No, a thousand percent. I mean, I like this sort of cocoon-like quality of a lot of these clothes. And that also, we saw pieces like that in Demna's Balenciaga couture show. And it makes sense, right? It's like we're all emerging from the pandemic. We kind of don't really want to go outside. We want to be... You know, cocoon. we want to be cocooned. We want to feel safe and cozy. Speak, and these speak clothes... for yourself, Chelsea. I want to be a thought. <laughs> well, and these clothes just sort of, prov- these clothes provide that. But one thing I feel like I didn't need in the Mark show was all the logo stuff. He's been a big holdout with sort of integrating logo mania into the mainline collections, which I think is smart because it's not really his. I was going to say, yeah, it's a very Mark by Mark concept. Exactly. Mark by Mark, on the other hand, like that's where he goes ham with that shit. But I don't know. I don't know how much we needed it, although I guess from a selling shit standpoint, (laughs) that's what people want. Or do they want that from Marc Jacobs? I don't know. We'll I'd see. be curious. Like, are rappers going to wear those? I, I don't know. There's been so many shows. I don't think we really have time to get into them all. So you just want to blow through like a bunch of them and do sort of a rapid fire situation. Are you talking about a Fashion Week lightning round? Yeah. Don't mind if I do. Okay, perfect. Thoughts on Chanel? All I have to say is, despite all my rage, I'm still just a tweed jacket on a stage. Right? It's, it, th- as we previously said, the Chanel show is always going to be the Chanel show. Although I did enjoy the dress that was like a lacy, almost nightgown dress with the tweed in the front. Mm-hmm. Like, that's going to be on Margot Robbie. Everything's going to be on Margot Robbie because she only wears this shit. That's true. Yeah, I'm still over Chanel, but I appreciate that the new chick is giving us some new silhouettes. I mean, again, if you're going to try and sell us the same jacket for 70 years, at least make us a new skirt. And she's done that, so props. The Row. This season was The Row meets Vivian Westwood's Pirates Collection with a dash of 2001 Gab pretending to be 1998 Prada. (laughs) So every other Row show? I don't know. I mean, I'm into it. It's so fucking chic. It's how I want to dress. It sucks that it's literally the most expensive brand. I don't know what's crazier. The fact that like Donald Trump was president or the fact that Michelle from Full House is the new Jill Sander. Like, it's it's crazy. Again, I, I continue to, to respect everything they do, although I wish I could afford it. Moschino. While looking at it, I kept thinking, is Jeremy Scott like me and also gets high and watches Dick Tracy at night? 
There were some major Dick Tracy vibes. <laughs> For Moschino, we expect cartoonish, and this show delivered that. It was very much a mixed bag. I'm sure the reference was more guys and dolls, but when I saw that like red sequined zoot suit, I was like, big boy Caprice. They made Karen Elson look like a hot dog on a stick employee. Although I did like Stella Maxwell literally dressed as a hot dog. I feel right. like that was, a, that was a vibe. I hope someone wears that to the Met Gala. Just saying. Off-white. I feel like I'm not cool enough to understand off-white. Like, every season, to me, it feels like the Emperor's New Clothes. Like, everyone talks about but how... But it's not cool. It's not It's not that you're not cool. Like, it's not cool. But I don't get it. Everyone talks about, like, oh, my God, look how groundbreaking it is. And I'm like, but they're not wearing anything. Well, to me, it looks like if I didn't know better and if the casting was more generic, I would think it was like any New York Fashion Week designer. Right. Like could literally be anyone. Like if you told me it's like, oh, that's Jason Wu, I would have been like that. Sure. I believe it. Bella opened the show in, as you said, that like regal deep blue color that everyone's using in a mini dress that was so short that if you watch the video, Bella Hadid pulls it down at a certain point as she's walking (laughs) because it's just rising and rising. I can't believe like that was the first look. Like he really thought he was doing something with that outfit. And I don't know why, because it looks like some sort of like versus for H&M. But that's what I'm saying. I feel crazy because everyone's like, look what he put as the first look. And I'm like, are we looking at the same thing? Well, the only cool thing about that show was like the casting and like specifically the fact that Honey Dijon was a model. But that was kind of it, you know, like I don't really have anything else to say beyond that. Givenchy? I hate it. I hate it. I mean, there's <laughs> there's nothing worse than when a designer goes for a gothic streetwear look and it doesn't even look cool. Also, I was really shocked at the level of so many of the the women's dresses, like the mini dresses were such like overt knockoffs of Nicholas Gesquier Balenciaga stuff that I was like, wow, I, I was just kind of shocked. Yeah, they all look like outfits for characters from some dystopian anarchy young adult novel. Yeah. But also it was like, but if they were Euphoria characters. I mean, but it wasn't even that cool. Like, I think the problem, it looks so contrived. And I get that it's like, yeah, it's a fashion show and the styling and the look has to be extreme. But I don't know. It just, it really doesn't speak to me. I think this is a terrible direction for this brand. What else? Your boy, Walter von Burendach. I mean, love Walter, one of my all-time favorite designers. Didn't love the styling. Kind of hate the styling. But, you know, the the prints, the graphic pieces, always fabulous. Although it's like, it's crazy because he's been making really flamboyant menswear forever. And now like that's in and like every brand is doing that. And like rappers look like Walter Van Bierendonck models. It's kind of crazy. I like that in the description of the show, he it's as if he was designing for a fictional band he created. Wait, it's what? <laughs> this is in the Vogue review. Yeah, I didn't read the Vogue review. It was a fictional band named The Subs who were preparing for a year 2057 world tour by clobbering up in his costume. Uh, All right. Yeah. I just don't know how many, if I need to see like socks as a fashion statement right now, like socks with shorts. After after the year we've had. I don't know if I need that right now, but love him. Victor and Rolf. You know, I used to be a big fan of Victor and Rolf, but they've really lost their way. And now that I think about it, I don't think they've had a, a collection that's been solid top to bottom since like... 2008 or something like that if I'm being honest with myself it's as if they forgot they had to design a couture collection because they were too busy watching PBS masterpiece series 
Yeah, this was a very literal, like... We've been watching The Crown we, and yeah, Bridgerton. Exactly. And Wolf Hall. Exactly. It was inspired by royalty and queens. And then all of the looks, the... The chicks wore these sashes that said various terrible things like don't be a drag, just be a queen and like I'm a queen bitch and stuff like that. It seems like they were trying to replicate the viral success of that couture collection that they did with the slogan dresses. Right. That was parodied on Emily in Paris. But also, it's as if they spent all their time watching Netflix and only a week left to design this collection. They were like, fuck, fuck, fuck. It's just really sad to see these particular designers design for Instagram. If any brand should be the anti-Instagram brand, it should be them. Martine Rose, what do we think? I actually was not aware of this designer until you brought them to my attention. Yeah. A very sportswear urban cowboy. I mean, I love her. I love the vibe. I love the silhouette. I love the like 10,000 iterations of chaps. She's always good. I like the track pants chaps. The ones that look like old Adidas break apart pants that were chaps. Well, also she was consulting for like Balenciaga in the early Demna era. So I feel like a lot of that was her. I think she's really talented and her clothes really hold up post malone will definitely be wearing those red leather chaps like it's oh i'd I'd bet my life on it oh and a bud light seltzer ad that he's gonna do for sure yeah absolutely then i have diesel this happened a couple weeks ago i've been meaning to talk about it it's fab they finally have a cool creative director it finally happened can you believe it woohoo who is glenn martins from y project i mean this is one of those brands that I I feel like that clip of Tyra Banks where it's like, we were all rooting for you, you know? Well, also, especially at a time right now where Gen Z is glorifying early aughts fashion, this is the perfect time for Diesel to have a rebrand and actually be relevant. Totally. And I was never a Diesel person. I think their advertising spoke to me more than their clothes. Although my girlfriend in high school was like obsessed with diesel. So I remember always like going into the store in San Francisco and like being kind of taken aback by like the retail experience, which was pretty insane back in the day. But this show is like, this show is really good. There's obviously like 10,000 interpretations of, of denim. There's some really beautiful quilted pieces. There's hot pants and pedal pushers that, that feel very Carrie Bradshaw. Are we going to get this stuff in time for it just like that? I hope so. This denim jumpsuit, hot off the runway. (laughs) Scoot, Sarah Jessica. Scoot, scoot. (laughs) I know. Yeah, some great scooting and heels looks. Um, All right. We've reached the end. That was fun. So as noted in the reviews, this is where some of you leave us. (laughs) And this is where uh, hopefully the rest of you stay, which would be the Kardashian segment. Kardash, a holics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> so Kim went to the Vatican. Kim had a whole La Dolce Vita trip. <laughs> Kim went to the Vatican with Kate Moss and Kate Moss's mini me daughter. Do you think she was also like Gwen Stefani asking a Vatican tribunal to annul her marriage? <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. Uh, um. She wore a very sexy dress. Which she had a cover-up for when she was inside. People neglected to mention that. Well, also, the cover-up didn't seem like part of her outfit. Like, it seemed like... Also, her bodyguard had to take off his button down and put it over her. So she's wearing this, like, sheer lace dress that's kind of, like, falling off her body. It's really hot. Like, she looks great. Cutouts around the waist. 
But then Kate Moss is dressed like a normal person, like yeah. button down shirt, like knee length skirt. Like if Kate Moss is dressed like that and you're dressed like that, like you've made a mistake. You've made a terrible mistake. You know what I mean? I bet she showed up and was like, oh, I, I fucked up. Because can you imagine you being text? overdressed in front of Kate Moss? Like how embarrassed you would be? Or you mean underdressed in front of Kate Moss? Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how you want to look at it. Even like Kate Moss's like tween daughter looked like a nice proper conservative lady. But the paparazzi photos, I really encourage everyone to look at the paparazzi photos of them in the car. I'll put them in the show notes. There's a level of strangeness that I can't really put into words. Oh yeah, I think it's the realization that just because you guys have had two conversations at a couple of fashion parties over the years doesn't mean that you guys are ready for an outing all afternoon. <laughs> yeah, like in the bright, like harsh light of day. In Rome, you're like, um, so the weather. Also, also, it must be so weird for Kim because, like, I'm sure that Kim idolizes Kate Moss. I'm sure that Kim many times has brought photos of Kate Moss in the 90s to her stylist and been like, I want to look like this or whatever. It just must be strange to be with your idol like that. And your idol ignoring you. <laughs> your idol not giving a shit. Do you think Kate Moss was texting Naomi Campbell being like, you will not believe what this bitch wore to the <laughs> I know. Well, Kate Moss is also like, I was the original influencer bitch. Like, I made skinny jeans happen. I made Balenciaga motorcycle bags happen. I made ballet flats happen. What else did she make happen? Just Leopard like pea coats. Super short shorts with the hunter rain boots. Yeah. Yeah. Mucklucks. Just like... So many things. Ankle boots, actually, kind of. Like, black ankle boots. This bitch, like, was really... She is the one. Also, so Kim has been hanging out in Italy, or she's been in Paris, or where has she been wearing all these baseball hats? She was in Rome for a little bit. She went to the Coliseum. She seems to be, given her Instagram stories, working out in the gym with Chris and Chloe at 6 a.m. back in L.A. But yeah, she kind of picked up a new accessory that she's fond of, which is just a baseball cap with thoughty dresses. Well, I think that we've seen her in baseball caps before, but these ones like say things. Like one had a pot leaf on it. The other one said something. So I was like, was Kanye only letting her wear baseball hats that were like unbranded or? Oh, this is her rebellion? It feels like a rebellion. It feels like something you would think Carrie Bradshaw would be into, right? It would just wear a very short, slinky dress, but then with a baseball cap. Totally. Very, it is actually very Carrie, a now pa- that I think about it. Yeah, it's definitely a Patricia Field styling concept of, like, the high-low. Yeah. What else has Kim been up to? Guys, Skims is dressing Team USA, or at least their undergarments. Yeah, like, off-duty. That's kind of like, okay, so you're dressing Team USA, you're the official loungewear sponsor of the Olympics or something, so it's not like they're wearing this, like, out. Oh, I interpreted undergarments of, like, oh, are they giving them, like, thongs to wear underneath their No, they're giving them, like, pajamas and shit. Ralph Lauren is designing the actual uniforms, which this needs to stop. (laughs) This is not everyone needs to look like preppy date rapists from Nantucket. Like it, it, we need a different vibe. We need a different designer. I get it. Ralph Lauren's iconic, but like his reign of terror has to stop. Who do you think should design it? Telfar. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Is this our change.org petition? Get (laughs) Telfar to design the Team USA uniforms. I mean, honestly, Yeezy. I'm sure he'd do a better job than Ralph Lauren. Wow. 
How many people's heads would explode if it was Skims for loungewear and then Yeezy was designing the Team USA? I think Skims would do a better job than Ralph Lauren too, honestly. Because at least like Skims would be able to like meet the moment. A lot's changing for Kim. Oh yeah. (laughs) Including the announcement that they will be shutting down the KKW Beauty website for a redesign of sorts. Did I not call this? The second she launched KKW Beauty, I was like, this is a mistake because this marriage isn't going to last as long as this brand will or this brand should. It could have been Kim Beauty. It could have been KK Beauty. It could have been whatever, but it had to be the KKW. KK has a... KK is too close to KKK for anyone's comfort, so I don't think it should be that, but... So what do we think it's going to be? Skims Beauty? I wouldn't be mad at that. Like, why do you have to have 50 different companies? Why not just have one? Right. You know? Yeah, Skims Beauty or just Kim Beauty, I think would be fine. I went to the KKW Beauty site and like everything on the site is 20% off, but a handful of products are 75% off, which are basically just the Ultra Light Beams Duo, obviously named for a Kanye song, and the uh, Flashing Lights Loose Powder, also a, a Kanye reference. Is it purposeful or is it, as Kylie said, remember when the whole Jordan Woods thing was going down, that the lip kit named after Jordan or Jordan's lip kit was heavily discounted. And she was like, oh, that was an accident. That had been on the books for months that that was going to be on sale. Could be, or could be a very deliberate way to unload products that (laughs) they no longer want to be associated with. Very true. Well, only time will tell. And yeah, I guess that's it for the Kardashian. I guess we just had Kim stuff this week. Yeah, I mean, Kendall's in Paris, but whatever. Yeah, no one else is really doing anything that interesting right now. So guess that's it for this app. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.